Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Lord God, we thank You that You are our God and that You have come to us and revealed Yourself to us in Your Word. Lord, we know that we are not sufficient to understand these things. I'm not sufficient to preach them in Myself. We're not sufficient to understand them. And yet You've given Your Spirit that we might, that our sufficiency comes from You. Lord, we ask that You would meet us here, that You'd be glorified, that we might know You better. In Christ's name, Amen. Well, As we began this series in 2 Corinthians last week, We looked at Paul's ministry and his emphasis on the Spirit's internal work in the lives of believers. These living letters of recommendation that were written by Christ. We also noticed in chapter 3 that Paul is drawing a clear line between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The system of law for the Old Testament people of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit since His coming at Pentecost. The Old Covenant was symbolized at Mount Sinai when God engraved His law on tablets of stone. The New Covenant is written by the Spirit in human hearts. The Old Covenant kills. The New Covenant gives life. Now, if Paul were to just leave it at this, we would get the distinct impression that the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is that the Old Covenant is bad and that the New Covenant is good. But that's not what Paul is saying here in our passage. See, as we follow Paul's line of thinking, Paul makes it abundantly clear that the Old Covenant was glorious in many ways but that its glory has been completely eclipsed by the glory in the New Covenant. See, his argument isn't from bad to worse, but from lesser to greater, from glory to surpassing glory. Have you ever been outside 
on a really dark night. Maybe you've been in a place that is just pitch black. I mean, think about looking up at the stars. It's one giant sheet of twinkling light. And if you stare at those stars, there's something radiant. There's something brilliant about them. You feel like those stars could make you go blind if you just stand and you look at them too long. It's beautiful. How could you look at anything else? And this is what the Old Covenant is for Paul. It's a radiant display of God's glorious light. But when the sun rises, what happens to all the stars? Well, from our vantage point, from what we see, they disappear. Functionally, they're gone. Their light, while almost blinding in the darkness of light of night, is completely invisible to us in the light of day. Their glory has been eclipsed. And this is what Paul's argument is regarding the covenants. That the old covenant's meaning, its imagery, symbols, types, and shadows, they all pointed directly to Christ. And Christ has come and Christ maintains all the glory. It was a magnificent tapestry, but they were just road signs pointing God's people to their Savior. And just like you don't stare at the signs, but you allow those signs to direct you to that which they're pointing to, the Old Covenant directs our gaze to Jesus Christ, our hope, our joy, our great God, our Savior and Lord. So today, as we walk through the text, we'll notice how Paul contrasts the glory of these covenants. See, Paul is speaking to a church that's steeped in its understanding of the Old Testament and in Old Testament Judaism. See, Paul's argument depends on their knowledge of the Old Testament. So as we go along, I will be trying to give us a context as we move. But if you do feel lost or confused or you're missing something, I just want to make it clear that Paul is going to be looking at Exodus chapters 32, 33, and 34. And he's using this as a metaphor or maybe a summarized version of the whole Old Covenant. Now, to refresh our memories, I'll just walk through this briefly for us because it leads directly into what Paul is saying. See, if we go back to Exodus and we we show up in chapter 32, we'll recognize that Moses has gone up on the Mount, uh, Mount Sinai to meet with God, that he's gone up as a representative of the people to meet with God and receive God's law. And God wrote out his law on tablets of stone in the Ten Commandments. But as Moses comes down the mountain in chapter 32, and he's coming back to the people, you'll remember that he found the people worshiping the golden calf. That they had made an idol, and directly under the gaze of the Lord, they've broken his covenant. And Moses throws the tablets out of his hand and they're broken just like the covenant that the people broke with God. In judgment, thousands of people were slaughtered as the Levites went through camp and as the Lord sent a plague among the people. See, this broken covenant had led to condemnation and it led to death. Yet this wasn't the end. This was just in chapter 32. God wasn't done with His people. He hadn't run out of grace. Remember how Moses had pleaded with God and he asked Him to go with His people. And then more than that, Moses was so bold to ask to see the glory of the Lord. And God agreed to both. 
He would both renew His covenant with the covenant-breaking people of Israel. And He would show Moses His glory. And you'll remember in chapter 34, this breathtaking moment where God places Moses in the cleft of a rock. And it says that God put His hand over the cleft, guarding Moses from His presence. And then God passed by. And as He passed by, He removed His hand and allowed Moses to look at the back of His glory. And at the same moment, He declared His name and He said, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. To finish this summary, I'll read for you the last six verses of chapter 34 where we hear about Moses' shining face. It says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking to God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin on Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put a veil over his face again until he went to speak with him. So with this in mind, we turn to our, our text today and we'll look at the first two verses. Paul says, now if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? See, you would never be able to convince Paul that the old covenant was without glory. No, it was God's gracious relationship that He had established with His people, proclaimed with His Word, and then shown forth in His presence. See, as evidence of this, Moses' face radiated the glory of God. It was like a sponge or maybe a, a solar panel that was energized by the presence of God. If I could change my metaphors, it was like the moon that reflects the light of the sun. So Moses' face reflected a glory that was not his own. And as he left the presence of God, his face continued to shine. So much so that the people were afraid to come near him. Can you imagine what this would be like? Can you imagine uh, to, to walk up to someone who has been in the presence of God and see their face shining? What would this look like? What would this feel like to see God's radiated glory displayed physically in this way? There was a problem. The glory of Moses' face was temporary. It would dim over time and then need to be recharged as he entered into God's presence again and again and again. It was a fading glory that was being brought to an end 
And you could hear that in the text as Paul mentioned this over and over again. See, in verse 13, Paul returns to this saying that Moses would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So in other words, one of the reasons that Moses failed, veiled his face after talking with the people was to conceal how quickly this glory would fade from his face. How quickly the glory would go away. But Paul is using this and he reminds us that it's not the case with believers today. In verse 11, he tells us that what is being brought to an end has been far outshone in the new covenant. The ministry of the Spirit, which contains permanent glory. It's not fading. And it won't burn out. See, as God's people, we're not waiting for something better. We're not waiting for something more from God. No, we have all that we need in Jesus Christ. He was God's final revelation to us. The bringer of light and life. The consummation of all the promises of God are yes and amen in God. See, even greater than the outward radiation of Moses' face, believers experience greater glory of God emanating from within our own hearts. That a miracle has taken place. A new birth in Christ has come. His church, His body, His people come together as a redeemed bride. Broken vessels made whole by His blood. We the rejected have been accepted. We the orphans have been adopted as precious in His sight. See, until the end of the world... Until Jesus comes and completely restores and renews all things, the glory of Christ will shine forth unfadingly in the Gospel. In heaven, we will join the multitudes crying out to the Lion of Judah, the Lamb who was slain, singing, Worthy are You, for You were slain, and by Your blood You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Yes, we weep for those who have gone before us, for the pain, for the hole that is left behind them. But believers grieve with hope, confidently, joyfully knowing that one day we will join them. That our brothers and sisters, those we've lost in the Lord, are happier, more content, more fulfilled now than they ever were here on earth. They are singing out praise to God in the enduring glorious Gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the Gospel is the eternal good news of God that we will continue to proclaim throughout all eternity. In verses 9 and 10, we see Paul transitions. He starts contrasting the ministries between the covenants. The old covenant he calls the ministry of condemnation. In verse 7, he called it the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone. It is the ministry of law. See, Paul has a lot to say about the law. Elsewhere, we hear him say, Moses writes about a righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. However, the law reveals our inability. 
All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. See, it's often claimed that religion is primarily about the things that we have to do to make ourselves right with God. But Paul makes it really, really clear that we can't make ourselves right with God. We can't make ourselves right through outward action or obedience to the law. No, the law of the ministry of condemnation works. And the law doesn't allow any human being to be justified or made righteous in His sight. Since it's through the law that we get knowledge of sin. That the law reveals our sin and our need for a Savior. It's the law that tells us that all have fallen short of the glory of God. It is the law that gives us this knowledge of sin and it reveals to us that all mankind is really and truly on the highway to hell. And yet the law is good, Paul says. The condemnation is just. The death is earned. And yet we remember the glory as well. As God's Shekinah glory at Sinai and Moses' shining face display The law contained indescribable glory that would shake us with fear. However, thanks be to God for His amazing grace. See, if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, how much more glory is there in the ministry of righteousness? See, Paul tells us that this glory exceeds it in glory. That once what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. See, God has never let righteous condemnation get the last word. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, He promised to them a seed, a Messiah who would come and save them and rescue their their children. When God wiped out all of rebellious mankind with a flood, He had saved Noah and his family and began anew with them. When Israel rebelled against Him, God reserved a remnant for Himself. In the Old Covenant, the law saw grace codified in a sacrificial system, a means of death for dealing with sin and trespasses and uncleanness. See, though the law condemns all mankind, the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. That the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe We cannot be made righteous with God through doing. That's what the ministry of condemnation tells us. However, we can be made right with God by faith, trusting in Jesus and in His finished work on our behalf. See, if the law was given with so much glory, Paul asks, how much more glory do you suppose the Gospel contains? The writer of Hebrews stresses this well. If you hear him, he's making this comparison between the Old Covenant and coming to Mount Sinai and God's New Covenant people coming to Zion. And hear the stark difference. He says, For if you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. 
Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So we see that the new covenant is better than the old covenant because it is a permanent word that brings life and righteousness, in a renewed relationship with our God. So what does it look like in our lives? Well, Paul begins to tell us in verse 12, he says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. He says that our hope is built on the steadfast promises of God so that we live boldly, openly for all to see hear, and even smell the aroma of Christ as He has worked in our lives and as He continues to work within us. Last week, Paul said that we have confidence. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves, but that our sufficiency is totally from God. In a similar way, Paul is telling us that we live boldly in hope, but not in the hope that we muster. It's not about our hope and our hoping, but it's because of the promises of God in which we hope that we live boldly before His face. See, Paul goes on to talk about how his brothers, these non-Christian Jews, remained blind to the new covenant, that a veil remains over their minds and over their hearts. And we'll look at this more next week. But what I do want to notice is how the veil is removed. See, in verse 14, Paul says that it's only through Christ that the veil is taken away. And then again, in verse 16, he says that when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Then down in verse 17, he says that the Spirit of the Lord is the one that grants freedom. And it's this beautiful picture of God as Trinity. God, three in one, one in three, and He's completely invested in our salvation. He's completely invested removing this veil from our eyes and from our hearts. That He speaks life into us. That He opens plugged ears. That He animates us from the inside out. That through the Gospel, He has called us by name. That we have heard His voice. And we have answered by the gift of faith that He has worked in us. See, the Gospel blazes into our lives, showing us Christ in every page of the Scriptures. It all points to Him, the One who was promised, the One who came, and the One who will return. See, we turn to Him in His Word with unveiled faces, expecting that He will meet us there. And God doesn't just save His people and then leave them alone and hope that they follow Him. No, God continually, faithfully works His sanctifying grace throughout our entire earthly lives. If we look at our last verse, verse 18, it's one that that we, we hold dear. We turn to now and again. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 
We will spend an entire lifetime understanding what this verse means. But for now, we'll close our time today by noting three things that Calvin brings out of it. First, God openly displays His face to us in the Gospel. We do not need to fear that God is hidden, that He's obscured, or that He's veiled to His people. No, with unveiled faces, we behold the glory of the Lord. See, we come to Him in great confidence, knowing that He has made Himself known to us by His Word and by His Spirit. That our God is a God who chose to condescend to us, making Himself known to us in His Word. And He's a good Father who bids us to come and know Him better. Secondly, God does not invite us to know Him simply on an intellectual or contemplative level. See, He doesn't invite us to empty philosophy to think about His existence or maybe the mysteries of life. No, for Paul, knowing God isn't at all abstract. He's not a force. God isn't a philosophy. No, He's, a, he's personal. And He invites us into His presence to be transformed by Him. That knowing God does something to us. See, the will of God for our lives is sanctification. Transformation into the image of Christ. And by His Spirit, God is at work in our lives. And if you look at verse 18, notice what the primary tool of changing us and shaping us is. It's by beholding the glory of the Lord. See, like Moses, whose face shone with the reflected glory of God, we are transformed by being in His presence and in His glory. Sometimes it's easy for us to think of the Christian life in in a sort of self-help or what am I supposed to do sort of way. But Paul reminds us that the Christian life is about being in the presence and basking in the glory of our God. If we ask the question, do you want to be a better Christian? Paul's answer would be to stop focusing on yourself and focus on Jesus Christ and His work. See, we are reminded to turn our eyes upon Jesus to look full in His wonderful face, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Finally, our sanctification is a process. It doesn't happen all at once. See, this idea of moving from one degree of glory to another implies constant and gradual growth. God is at work. He's the one that gives progress, both in our knowledge of knowing Him and in our being transformed into His image. Yes, we, in this life, we will go through seasons where we are low. We will go through times and experience ups and downs in our spiritual life as part of being human and living in a fallen world. But if it is God who is at work, He will ensure our progression towards Himself. See, He is a good shepherd. And He doesn't leave. He doesn't forsake. And He doesn't give up on His beloved sheep. He may lead us through tough stretches, times of doubt, even the valley of the shadow of death. 
But wherever we are, we know that we need to fear no evil because He is with us. He's leading us in the way that we should go. So we listen to Him. We trust Him. We follow Him. One day, we will bear His perfected image in our lives as we stand in His presence fully sanctified, fully glorified in heaven. How will this happen? It's by seeing Him. John tells us that we will know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. Paul tells us that we will be perfected for we will see Him clearly face to face. But for now, we move forward with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord by faith in Jesus Christ who leads us and is actively transforming us by His Spirit from one degree of glory to another. Look to Him and be transformed by His surpassing glory. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.